Hello, everyone. Woo, thank you for that. <laughs> uh, welcome here. We're very honored to have you all with us today. I'm Bob Walham. I'm a partner at CINT and at uh, your disposal uh, the whole day here and moving forward too. I'm super excited to be here in this Impact Tomorrow uh, mind-shifting perspective to fuel a digital efficient future. My mission is to talk a few seconds about us, and, uh, but I don't want to be boring and, you know, doing something that doesn't make a lot of sense for all of you. We have a formal thing. We build digital solutions that transform businesses. But what I wanted to tell you is that in reality, we are damn good people that love complex problems. And we love people. So if you have complex problems to solve, reach out to us. We get really excited about solving complex problems with interesting people. That's what uh, unites us for the last 28 years since our early days, and that's what keeps us moving forward. We have a tagline that says that, make their tomorrow. And what it means, it's a beautiful thing, I'm part of the creation of that, but it really means that we're here to help build your tomorrow from a technical perspective, from a strategic perspective, from a design perspective. That's what we do. And as I said, I think we are damn good people that love complex problems. And if you have complex problems, reach out to us. All that said, so let's get started on what really matters. I would like to invite Melissa Minko, our director of uh, retail strategy and a travel lover. Melissa, come on, and it's with you. Thank you so much. to be up here first so you didn't have to watch us get on but yeah. oh well sorry for that <laughs> hi everyone good morning thanks so much for being here as Bob mentioned my name is Melissa Minko and I am our director of retail strategy my work involves identifying emerging trends in the retail space so that we can figure out the best technology solutions to power shopping experiences we have such an amazing panel today so enough about me joining me I have Ekka Chopra and before I get started and tell you about me happy birthday Abby <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Ekta Chopra, I'm the Chief Digital Officer for ELF Beauty, and ELF is a bold disruptor with a kind heart, and we have a house of brands, which is ELF Cosmetics, Key Soul Care, Well People, and ELF Skin, so happy to be here. Great. <laughs> I'm Adam Crouch. I'm the General Manager of New Businesses at Poshmark. Uh, which is a leading marketplace for uh, new and secondhand fashion. Uh, we have uh, over 100 million users across the US, uh, Canada, India, and Australia. 
Uh, more than one in four Americans have joined Poshmark, and including more than 90% of millennial women. Um, and it's a highly social discovery-oriented experience. So uh, you know, most e-commerce is mission-oriented and you know, in and out, but Poshmark is shopping for fun. Shopping is entertainment. And uh, so as a result, the average active user spends 20 to 25 minutes a day in the app, uh, which is equivalent to Instagram and Snapchat. Uh, so yeah, really excited to be here today. Francisco Bram, I lead marketing and customer growth at Albertsons Companies. Uh, it's a house of brands as well, with 22 different supermarket brands uh, from Safeway, Vons, Jewel Osco, uh, and many more. And over the last two years, Albertsons has gone through a digital transformation. And so how do we transform a traditional retail market? Um, how do we build trusted relationships with customers, get monthly active users engagement in our platform? Um, so that's a lot of the work that I've been um, assigned to do, and I'm excited here to share some of that with you today. Yeah, so some big brands on stage. Um, so CX is a large term. I know we're all used to hearing it, but I do want us to start just by identifying and defining it from the perspectives of each of your brands. Sure, so I'll say it's like a beautiful um, piece of you know, music that you write, and every single note has to come together, and that's when harmony happens. And I think that's how we really think about our consumer experience. It's about making sure that every single touch point comes together beautifully in a nice, cohesive story that makes it easy for our shoppers to really have the ultimate experience of you know, shopping with Elf Cosmetics or Elf Beauty. So. Yeah, so Poshmark's big differentiator is community. It's a group of people who have come together, not just to transact, but to, to share their mutual love of style and fashion and connect with other people. And so for us, uh, you know, CX, the customer experience, also extends to what's the community experience? How do we take every interaction in the app and turn it into an opportunity for more human connection? Uh, because we find that that's by far our most effective retention mechanism. And you know, as a result, we've been able to build up this very unique culture within the community of sellers helping other sellers rather than competing against each other, that together we grow uh, as one, and so we're very uh, diligent and very intentional in everything that we do in the customer experience around not just optimizing for that specific transaction, but how does this, how is this going to create a broader feeling among all the other users, and when this gets scaled out, how will other members of the community react to that, and how will it change their behavior? Yeah, for us, very similarly, we're looking at all the possible touch points and interactions that consumers or shoppers have with our brands. And in the time when retailers' relationships with customers are transactional, um, specifically in the grocery space with most products are commoditized, and there's low switching costs, you can easily go to another grocery store and get the same products. Um, so how do we move away from transactional type of relationships to uh, trusted-based relationships that show that we care? And so we spend the last two years really focusing a lot on learning from our customers and expanding beyond just buying food to health, wellness, well-being, incorporating all those journeys into one seamless customer experience that is both online and in-store. We have a lot of brick-and-mortar stores, and so for us, customer experience extends beyond just the digital world to the actual in-store associate experience. And so I'm excited to share a little bit of what we've done in the last month, the launch of Sincerely Health, and how we actually took um, insights from more than 10,000 customers and we co-created an entire new brand and an entire new digital experience that's driving engagement and driving retention. That's awesome. 
You guys are all talking about holistic perspectives and ecosystem, creating a sense of community. So it's clear that the consumer is kind of building that customer journey and that customer experience with you while you're designing it for them. What are some other principles along the way in your approach for best-in-class digital CX? I think it, the key word is community. So mm -hmm. we really at ELF think of it in three things. One is um, feet on the ground, mm -hmm. which is all about listening to your community. Our community is so passionate, mm -hmm. and it tells us where they, what they like, what they don't like, where, who they want us to collaborate with, and what products we should be making next. It's so engaged. Mm -hmm. So starting with your community and starting with that data. And then second is um, what we call head in the stars. And that's about where is our community going? It's not just the existing channels, but the new channels that they're going to. So it's really important that we are going where our community is. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes requires you know, a, lot, a muscle that's around testing and learning and taking some risks because some of these channels you know, are so new. And uh, so you have to adapt to them. So having a brand that can adapt to all these new channels is very important. And then what we called elf speed. And you think of speed, and then there's elf speed. We move really, really quick. Mm -hmm. We are always, we always want to be the first person to be there and get, get the learnings and really apply them on where our investments are going to be going. So it's feet on the ground, head in the stars, and moving at elf speed is our principles at elf. Love it. Great. <laughs> and for us, um, the biggest thing is simplicity. So we've gotten millions of people who have never sold anything before in their lives to, to become micro-entrepreneurs. And the only way that that's been possible is to be very, very simple. So uh, you know, for instance, before Poshmark, if you sold some clothes online, you'd need to guess how much they weigh and how much to charge for shipping. And you know, normal people don't own postal scales. Like This is a hassle. And so a lot of people just wouldn't bother. So at Poshmark, what we did is we said it's, it's a simple, flat rate uh, shipping label, always the same cost, no matter how much the item weighs. You know, and we just pay USPS based on the average of what it typically is. Um, now, we started doing that before we had an official deal with uh, the Postal Service, and they didn't really like it. Uh, <laughs> apparently, that's postal fraud. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, we, uh, we sold them on the vision uh, and got them excited about what we could do together, and we worked out a deal. Uh, and now we, are, uh, now we get along really well. We're one of their biggest customers. Uh, but it's because that radical simplicity enabled so many more people to participate. Yeah. Yeah, for us, there's a total of seven principles. Um, if you think of the first one, is really the foundation of your house of customer experience, which is customer-driven insights. Um, and for us, it's really critical. We've learned just by talking to all 10,000 customers throughout the year, um, one third of them were actual shoppers from ours, a third was competitor shoppers, and another third hybrid. And we've learned that, number one, they look at their retailers, specifically grocery stores, as a place for um, health and well-being, specifically as they enter the food um, space. And they don't see yet a partnership from grocery stores on that space. So that's great insight. Second insight that we've learned was health is personal. Even though they shop as a household, they consider health as a personal journey, and they look at you know, experiences that feel personal catered to them, not just the entire household. And then the third insight was six out of 10 people uh, thought that being healthy is um, exclusive to the wealthy people, that you need to sign up for a gym, you probably can't afford expensive healthy foods, 
So it's a myth um, that we, we thought that it's a mission for us to take on and help sort of dismystify. So we built this platform, Sincerely Health, truly based on these key insights that enables customers to get access to health and information and all free of charge. And in addition to that, earn rewards as they achieve those healthy milestones. So that was the core foundation, the first principle. The second was connecting journeys. Just because we offer food and um, we, are now the, we have the ability to also offer health, we need to connect it to journeys. If you're coming in to get a flu shot in one of our pharmacies that we have in store, why not connect that journey to also OTC products like vitamins and supplements? Why not connect that to foods that help you know, boost your immune system? So building an entire digital journey that is connected um, is a core principle of CX as well. The third element is consistency. We have online and brick and mortar stores. We have to make sure that the tone of voice that we have online that we created with this new brand permeates through the store. So that if you talk to one of our associates, the cashier, the pharmacist, that that sincerity, that tonality is also the same as the digital experience. Um, and that takes a lot of time and effort, education, but that's the best customer experience when you can actually bridge the two worlds, the online one and the offline world. And then the fourth element is personalization. Um, I think that's a, a buzzword in many industries, but for us it's really critical. Um, if you're vegan and you're trying to lower cholesterol, for example, and we know that information because of the health platform and you tell us that information, I can now cater products to you that are vegan and low on trans fat and saturated fats which for many people, they don't even associate trans fats and saturated fats with high blood pressure or with cholesterol. So we can now start to build these journeys that feel very personalized to your unique identity. And then finally, equally important is uh, a commitment to continuously improving your customer experience. And I think it's constantly hearing feedback evolve as the needs of the customers evolve. And we've learned this um, during the pandemic and people wanted to come back to stores, but how do we make that um, journey back into the stores more welcoming and more, more fun and, and, and engaging. So we built digital solutions that enhance the in-store experience. Yeah. Um, and, and that's sort of a, a constant improvement that we make on customer experience. So those are some of the core principles for uh, elevating CX. That's fantastic. Yeah. You all are such innovative brands, so I love talking about that evolutionary path with your customers. Um, I'm also clearly hearing empowering the customer, inspiring them, and keeping it really easy for them. And I think yeah. that becomes more and more important. Yeah, sure. easy was a key element too. Like we've learned that eight out of 10 customers um, didn't know what was good for them. Meaning yeah. there's too much information out there. For example, one week they learned that wine, red wine is really good for your heart health. The next week they learned that all alcohol <laughs> is bad for your liver. So it's really hard for them. They have. Yeah busy lives mm -hmm. and so we built this platform to also allow to remove the cognitive load add a lot of education a lot of blog content catered by actual nutritionists um, to help just make the decisions on what to buy a lot easier yeah. and i love the point you made about <clears throat> how people assume it takes a lot of money to eat in a healthy way right. exactly. uh, and yeah. how you're trying to break that trade-off we're doing the same thing with people assume in order to be environmentally conscious you need to spend more money uh, but, but resale clothing is actually a unique way to save money and save the environment. And like, so all of these things where you 
take a trade-off where that consumers are used to having to do and just totally break that trade-off, enable them to kind of have their cake and eat it too, I think is really powerful, particularly this point around value uh, you know, in a time of inflation and so yeah. forth. If you yeah. can find a way to, uh, you know, you can, you can get what you used to think you'd have to spend more for, uh, but now you can get it cheaply. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's also interesting because I've done, Adam, you sit in very trend-driven spaces with apparel and beauty, but then hearing you, Francisco, talk about red wine is in, alcohol is out, they're actually all trend spaces. Um, Let's talk about some other nuances in each of your industries because you are in different categories and you're also in very different platforms. Yeah. I I mean, I can start. I think beauty is so personal. You know, it is sort of, if you think about color and your skin, Skin is even more personal, and you wanna, and, and we are a value brand. You know, we offer amazing quality, premium quality at a very value-driven price. And sometimes for skincare, that can be a barrier. It's like if it's not fifty dollars, maybe it's not good for you. But the reality is, our products are amazing, and the benefits are amazing. So it's so driven by education, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I do think that it's really sort of. The beauty is about, especially in skincare, a lot about education. It's about the ingredients. It's about all of that stuff. And if you think about even in beauty, there's um, different definitions for clean. Uh, and that's really hard to navigate because clean for Ulta standards is very different than what target standards are. Clean in Europe is more than 256 ingredients plus that are banned versus in US. So there's just different global standards as well. So how do you navigate? And education just becomes such an important part mm-hmm. when you're talking skincare. And then you have color, which is very trend-driven, and it's very social-driven, uh, influencer-driven, and it's really important to stay on those trends and, and you know, sort of making sure you have an experience that can bring that color to life. So we have augmented reality. We have all these other things now that are kind of bringing that digitally to life, right? So I do think that for us, it, it, this category is so personal. You also have so many different definitions of clean versus cruelty-free and all of that stuff. So I do think that it's, it's a uh, category, you know, requires a lot more care about what you're putting out there from an education perspective. Also, the experience becomes really important. Keeping it simple becomes really important. Uh, talking about your ingredients and the benefits and all of that stuff is really important. Fantastic. Great. Yeah, that's something really great about beauty, that degree to which, you know, you can really go deep, go down a rabbit hole yeah. and learn and experiment. Yeah. yeah. It really enables you to do some cool things over time with your customers. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. For us, it's uh, one of the biggest differences is that we're a two-sided marketplace. So both buyers and sellers are our customers. And in many cases, it's the same person uh, doing different activities at different times. And those two groups often have very different needs from each other. And uh, often if you're doing something that really optimizes for one of them, <clears throat> it kind of makes the experience worse for the other. And so yeah. we have to balance this all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also because it's a marketplace, it's this delicate ecosystem, and it's not a static system at all. So any change that we make has all of these second order effects where people start to change their behavior in reaction to optimizing around some change we made in uh, search ranking, and that changes their behavior. They start sharing other people's listings a lot more or a lot less, and that leads to more or less push notifications out to those users, and there are lots of second order effects that you know, we have to think through when we do this.
Yeah, and, and for us, again, coming back to the insights, um, we're a grocery store that has a pharmacy, and it's now trying to offer health and wellness and well-being advice to customers. Um, number one, do we have authority to play in this space, right, yeah. as a grocery store? Mm -hmm. uh, number two, should I trust you with my data, yeah. right? Um, you're a grocery store. You're going to use my health data now to offer me coupons mm -hmm. and offers on, on over-the-counter medication. So we had to build trust. And the first thing we did is we created a wall garden experience inside the, shop, the shopping app. Uh, Sincerely Health is a HIPAA-secured environment where you can enter the shopping experience as a household, but you can only enter the Sincerely Health experience as an individual. And that was really critical that, to ensure that the data is secured and, and private at all times. So the, an important nuance to keep in mind. And then we wanted to make it extremely simple for you to have a good assessment of your health. So we partnered with a company who's done years and years of studies, actuarial science, um, and came up with a health score, almost like a FICO score mm -hmm. for your health, looking at the seven dimensions of well-being, from mental health, fitness, nutrition, sleep. And now what we can do is we can help customers with a simple survey, get a baseline score, and then they can set goals on how to improve those scores. If they need to improve their sleep, they can set a goal in the platform. And for accomplishing those goals, they're going to get rewarded. We offer discounts on groceries and, in the future, even larger discounts or even larger rewards. Um, and this was all built to, number one, make sure that they feel like the experience is private, secure, and personal. Number two, um, it's free, and it's rewarding you for accomplishing health and well-being goals. So for us, it's really important that rewards is embedded into the experience, um, that data security and privacy is embedded into the experience. Um, and then again, we connect back to the shopping experience. Mm -hmm. Your health data doesn't get transferred over, but your um, rewards and discounts get transferred over. And if you're interested in learning more about the keto diet, we can now help you determine what recipes would be ideal for you. Um, we, we, we acquired this company called Mealime that actually helps you to derive recipes and you can cook recipes in one click of a button, all of your ingredients are added to the cart. Mm -hmm. And so it's ready for you to order and then start cooking. Um, it, it, we embedded in even intelligence that allows you when you're cooking and your hands are dirty, you swipe your hand over the camera and it switches the page over wow. so that you can <laughs> load it to cook next. That's so again, so cool. thinking about moments of delight, customer yeah. delight yeah. is really part of our core CX. That's yeah. very cool. That's amazing. And you've all been talking, oh, go ahead, Adam. Please. Oh, I was going to ask, it's really cool how you uh, have managed to expand what the brand's all about in mm -hmm. consumers' minds, right? Which is something I think a lot of us are all trying to do as we, yeah. like, expand into additional businesses. And, like, how did you do it for healthcare in particular? It's such a hard thing to get credibility in. How yeah. did you get that credibility? It's a combination of a lot of facts. We have our head of health here as well. Um, she's um, a visionary in the space. <laughs> what I have to say, one thing is um, you, you have to be humble. Mm -hmm. and, and not come across as um, someone who is trying to um, judge how people are behaving with their health and well-being. So we're, we, we took a tone of encouragement. Uh, in terms of credibility, we already had pharmacies. Yeah. So we had a, a wide uh, system of experts, pharmacists, and technologists. And then we also partner with a healthcare provider, Providence, mm -hmm. which allows us to also uh, enable telehealth conferencing mm -hmm. in your grocery shopping app. So imagine you're, you're, you're trying to talk to someone about the nutrition, um, you're concerned about your blood work, and you, you want to know what to eat. You can, through our app, access telehealth in certain states um, and get a very quick uh, in-person conversation uh, with a physician assistant. 
that will walk you through what type of uh, nutritional plans you should be building. And then our app will carry on that journey into the store experience. Um, so yes, uh, credibility was a key factor. Even the branding itself, we, we co-created the name and the wireframes with customers. We tested them frequently. The name is Sincerely Health, which is supposed to be, instead of us telling you how to live healthy, it's about your health talking to you. It's so sincerely your health. It's almost yeah. like the health is encouraging you to take the right steps. Yeah. And it was part of that feedback loop that we got from customers. That's great. That's amazing. And it seems actually kind of similar to what you're doing at Elf as well, of educating them on which beauty products are, are maybe cleaner, healthier. You're yeah. kind of taking these customers along for a ride with you and, and navigating the space with them a bit. Yeah, and I think the key part that you talked about is the when you think about sort of you know us trusting any brand with our data, mm -hmm. trust is at the center of it. And and in order for us to personalize, offer an amazing experience, and really think through what can we do better for the consumer, that data is important. Yeah. But then how do you sort of make sure that you take it very personal? I take data security very personal, and for me it's really important that we're looking at all angles. And you know, we tell our consumer that we're doing this to really make this journey more personal for you. And it, that is such, a, such an important thing. And you know, as we expand our data, like as we go into new channels and everything else, you're always learning new things about your consumer. They're also changing their behavior. So that knowledge is super important. Uh, in improving your consumer experience as well as making sure that you're not just thinking about one channel, but how that consumer interacts with the full ecosystem. Yeah. And that, that is constantly evolving. That was actually a perfect segue because I wanted to ask you all how consumers use each channel kind of differently and how you design the experience knowing that. Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on the consumer. Mm -hmm. Of course, like we are the number one favorite Gen Z brand Full stop period, which is great, you know? <laughs> and uh, of course, that doesn't mean that millennials or um, Gen Alpha doesn't shop with us. They obviously do. And some of them actually were shopping with us, uh, you know, when they were 15, 16, and now they're, you know, uh, millennials essentially because we're um, a 19 year old brand. So I think it's really, really, um, you know, as the consumer is evolving, our journey is evolving. Each channel is very, very different. We were the number one um, TikTok billionaire. So when TikTok was like not even, you know, it was just coming into the U.S. market, we took a we took a chance, mm -hmm. and we became the number one TikTok billionaire for the first time with our eyes, lips, face campaign and which had now has more than 10 billion views, right? Mm -hmm. So it is, it is about really, once, it, once again, it goes back to your DNA, testing and learning, and being comfortable with sort of a little bit of ambiguity, mm -hmm. and what is your risk appetite, right? So because some of these channels, you're not the expert, and your willingness to work with partners and content creators that are unique, and they're different, and they're unique to each channel. So how do you cater to that and have enough flexibility to be able to do that. So we definitely, you know, are the first ones to say we're not, we don't know everything. So we do take a lot of inspiration from brands that, you know, have done it. And then how do we go out there and do it better in many ways? So very cool. Adam, do you want to discuss how consumers are using website versus app for Poshmark? Yeah, yeah. So 
almost, uh, or the vast majority of our usage is in our app. Uh, and for many years, we resisted even having a website at all. Uh, <laughs> but you know, we do now, and uh, we do find that people use them quite differently. So, um, you know, for instance, uh, a lot of our largest sellers like to use the app, or sorry, like to use the web for, uh, you know, managing, responding to customer questions and so forth. And so we added some uh, power user tools on the web first for uh, you know, intricate management of your store and, and all of that. But uh, most of usage is in the app. Uh, you know, our customers love being able to just pull it out when they have three minutes in line at a coffee shop to browse through and find something interesting. And those of you who use Poshmark know we really like push notifications. Uh, so it, we, we find the app is really the core of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I will offer something there. So yeah. for the opposite was, we were the first brand to sell e-commerce online beauty for a dollar. And that's how sort of the digital native DNA came you know, uh, to be at ELF. But for the longest time, people would push back on having an app. Then 2018, 2019, we decided we're just going to launch an app and see what happens. Fast forward, we have a million downloads. And 95% of our loyalty members prefer to shop on the app. And they are the most engaged consumer. They spend more time on the app than they do on the web. So now we know that the app is really working towards building a community. Right. So we, we are now going deeper and making it more specific, like web versus what we offer on the web versus the app has to be a little bit unique and different. Yeah, it's amazing being able to have you know, a spot uh, on probably the most important real estate in your customer's life. Yeah. You know, seeing your logo 30, 40, 100 times a day. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Francisco, how do you design the two kind of differently, knowing how users are leveraging them? It's been a transformation. Uh, at Albertsons, <laughs> more traditional company for many years, um, the web was, was probably the go-to um, mm -hmm. for, for customers to go and browse and learn more. But even the web experience wasn't quite developed mm -hmm. uh, to offer e-commerce. Recently, um, we've created this, what we call the super app. And this app is both for your grocery, to manage your prescription, medications, vaccines, to manage your health, nutrition, your recipes, um, to enhance your store experience, um, to get it delivered, pick up. So it does a variety of different things that the web doesn't do. So today, the web became more of, a, of an educational place. Mm -hmm. Um, to drive people to download the app. Yeah. Um, having said that, we still have a large population that is on the older side. Mm -hmm. A lot of our shoppers mm -hmm. um, are between the Gen X to silent generation, and they still are more comfortable with e-commerce on the desktop version of the mm -hmm. web. So we still have to support certain functionality there. But the majority of the functionality we built today is exclusively in the app um, to drive downloads for the app. Very cool. Let's talk more about driving downloads and kind of loyalty, repeat use, because we know apps equal loyalty and success yeah. with customers. So what else, what other incentives do you all offer from a loyalty perspective on your digital channels? Yeah, for us, I think there's five key strategies that we normally follow. Number one is build exclusive content in the app. Um, make sure that the app offers a unique experience that the web doesn't offer, and you can't get it in store. Mm -hmm. um, Number two, and Sincerely Health is an example of that. Sincerely Health only works in the app. There's no web version of, of, of the platform. And number two, um, build experiences in the app that will enhance the actual brick and mortar experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. An example of that is called in-store mode. So if you walk through our stores today, 
and you go and you have the app downloaded and you turn in-store mode on, you can scan a QR code of any product and it will not only pull up the nutritional label and information about the product, but will tell you if there's deals on that product for, mm -hmm. the, for that particular day. Automatically will clip those deals to your cart, your digital cart, and then you can add the physical products to your physical cart, and at checkout, it's automatically seamlessly included. So your, your clip-ons, your discounts are all automatically added. So that barrier between the online world and the physical world is kind of separated. In addition to that, if you find a product you like with in-store mode, but there's no discounts, we can tell you similar products that will give you a similar experience that have a discount. And so this is another way to drive downloads is by enhancing the actual physical experience. A third way is, of course, the most effective way. Offers and incentives. Yeah. Um, for Sincerely Health, we offer $25 when you sign up for the platform. Mm. Uh, it's a free platform. All you have to do is sign up, fill out a questionnaire, you get $25 off groceries. Oh. Um, and then as you do additional things like connecting your Apple Watch to our app, connecting a Fitbit, mm -hmm. you get more dollars off your grocery bill. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a very effective way to get yeah. downloads and usage. Um, a third element um, to drive repeat use, we talk a lot about here, is moments of delight and education. Mm -hmm. We found that if you find ways to, um, let's say I'm browsing and discovering uh, popular categories that have similar people like me, or if vegan categories. Um, and then there's an article that talks about um, how to live a vegan diet without you know, compromising on your health by telling you about, hey, you may want to consider uh, B12 supplementation, for example. We're now enhancing and adding delight to an experience that customers are not expecting. Yeah. Like now I'm learning that, oh yes, I am vegan, I didn't know I had to take B12 supplementation. Yeah. And by the way, we also offer B12 supplements in store and it's easy to add to the cart. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, the last element that drives more app usage is make it a one-stop shop for everything. Yeah. Um, if I go to the same app to refill my prescription medication, to buy my pet uh, food or supplies, to buy my groceries, um, and at the same time to get a telehealth consultation with a doctor, I don't have the need to um, get additional apps or browse the web. I can go to a single app and constantly come back. That's why we have a very high monthly active user base, um, and it's growing 30% year over year. Um, so, and it's very new. Uh, we yeah. just turned into the digital space. It's been a, a year of transformation, yeah. um, but our customers are embracing it. Panelists, perfect timing. Yeah. Amazing. And Adam, I'm curious because it sounds like you guys, everyone is mostly on the app. How do you drive website usage then? Yeah, well, <clears throat> uh, for, uh, you know, the web that's been, what's been useful there is it starts opening up some channels that aren't available for sure. app user acquisition, like Google Shopping. Sure. Um, but in general, one of, uh, you know, one of the most effective things we've found for uh, user growth has been uh, driving organic referral traffic from mm -hmm. within the community. So we've created the uh, Posh Ambassador Program and uh, for that, we have thousands and thousands, of, tens of thousands of them. And uh, you know, to qualify, you have to hit a certain sales volume, of course, but then you also have to do some things that drive the health of the community and help set norms within it as well. Like you have to share other people's listings, uh, you have to welcome new users, mm -hmm. uh, which is a pretty amazing experience when you first join. Yeah. Uh, you, ha you even have to do things like, uh, you know, leave what we call love notes for some other users mm. as well. Um, <laughs> And uh, this really becomes a big part of these Posh Ambassadors' identity. You know, when they uh, meet someone new and, and uh, introduce themselves, it's one of the first things they say about themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and so naturally, of course, they start to get their friends to join as well. 
Do you offer any gamification in your community, like any ways for these ambassadors to compete in a healthy way that drives even more engagement? Yeah, so there's a whole set of, uh, you know, in order to qualify that we have all these different milestones you have to hit mm -hmm. and we have um, you know, kind of a fun experience around how close you are to hitting each of these yeah. and celebrating that. And um, you know, there's also things we have, we host um, in-app posh parties, which are, for instance, everybody who likes preppy style, open the app at 6 p.m. on Tuesdays and you know, all share uh, listings and things that you find interesting, right? Mm -hmm. And um, people really compete to try to be one of the hosts of those posh parties who That's get great. to curate some of the top things to show. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's fun, but it's all healthy competition because we've tried to create this norm within the community mm -hmm. that the only way you can win is by helping other people win. Yeah. And then they in turn help you. That's great. That's amazing. That's very cool. And Francisco, you touched on the fact that the app really supports in-store shopping. So I want to talk through all of that with each of you as well. How are you designing these digital customer experiences to also support people in stores or having brick-and-mortar experiences, Adam, in your case? Since, yeah. yeah. Well, for us, it's omni-channel was like the first thing, but now it's omniverse yes. in many ways. So um, it started with our loyalty program, which now has almost gearing towards 4 million members. Please download Beauty Squad from <laughs> elfcosmetics.com. <laughs> a plug in there. And basically, you know, with that sort of Beauty Squad uh, membership, we really focus on our most engaged consumer, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so the, the thing that really drives them is that program is so special and it is very unique. So no matter where you shop, mm -hmm. we give them rewards for even shopping at Walmart, Target, Ulta, that's where ELF is. Um, they can scan their receipts and they can get points. You can be rewarded as you like. You can get money in your Venmo account. You can get money in your PayPal account. Now you can actually get an NFT. You can get all these different rewards that you prefer. So as our community tells us, hey, can you add this reward? We take that very seriously and we start adding them. So as we ex expand where our community is going, we're going to start adding you know, rewards for gaming or rewards for other things. And that, I think, is the most critical thing, is when we're thinking about our Beauty Squad program, it's not just serving our D2C. It's serving the full ecosystem. It's serving the full omniverse for us. And uh, we continue to sort of improve that experience and make sure that we're not just thinking about one channel, but how do we make sure that we're engaging the broader channels and total health of the business. Fantastic. Yeah, and, and I would say to add to that in-store experience, I also think at-home at experience as well. Mm -hmm. um, so if with our app you can actually set certain activities you want to do at home and you start earning in the app, and then when you come to the store, all of that is already embedded into your cart automatically, so you can start saving the moment you walk through the store. Right. And for us, that's really important to remove friction um, and, and make it super simple for customers to get discounts, lower their grocery bill, while still maintaining a high level of quality of products. Mm -hmm. And also, um, interact with, with our store. Um, yeah. One time we did a scavenger hunt to promote Sincerely Health at the time when it was just a pilot. And People would go throughout the store, go to the produce aisle, scan the QR code, and you would you know, educate them on the importance of yeah. certain fruits and produce. Um, and if they go through that exercise, they would get points. And at the end of the entire store visit, 
they would have accumulated enough points that they can have a nice discount on their grocery bill. Cool. And the intent of that was to make it fun, um, but also educate on the importance and how it, it, is, it is easy and accessible to buy healthy foods. Yeah. Uh, so that was a critical element for us to make sure that we dismystify this notion that eating healthy is for the rich and wealthy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we created that entire experience in store to get people engaged and, and, and sort of embark on this wellness um, journey in a grocery store. Yeah. That's awesome. great. That's and yeah, well, we don't have stores. Right. In-person events are a big part of the Poshmark magic. Mm -hmm. So uh, this has been part of our DNA for a long time. But then particularly after the pandemic, uh, you know, there's so much hunger for human connection. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, and so what we did was uh, we took this concept of the Posh Party that I talked about before in the app, and we brought it to, uh, you know, it, it, in real life, it, to in-person events. And so we have. Um, Every month in a different city all around the country, we have a Posh Party Live where we invite buyers and sellers from the local community and influencers, local media, all to come together and you know, build relationships, have fun together, share tips, give each other advice, and just build friendships. A lot of people have built uh, you know, many of their closest friendships through the community, which, you know, because it's something that's hard to do as an adult, right? And mm -hmm. so being, having something like this that someone can latch onto. And, um, but you know, Poshmark can only run so many of these events, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so people in smaller towns started doing their own events, all on their own, um, purely organically. And uh, you know, once we saw this start, activity starting yeah. to happen, we did a bit, we created a program around it where we can give them tools to help organize and reach out to other people in their local community. But um, you know, our customers have just taken it on their own. So uh, in 2022, our community hosted more than 450 of their own events. Wow with uh, more than 2,500 attendees. Wow. And this is all with minimal spend or involvement from us yeah. because we've cultivated this um, atmosphere where our customers are very invested in our success, that yeah. we grow together. Uh, you know, as the Poshmark community grows, they win, their own businesses grow, and um, you know, so we're all invested in it. We all rise together. Great, that's amazing. So we've all kind of been discussing how Consumer Insights is informing the personalization that you all are achieving and the different efforts that you're leveraging to learn more. How are you listening to your consumers all the time? How are you kind of building that bridge between what you're seeing, how they're interacting with your platforms, and then what you create for them? Yeah, we've built a 14,000 customer panel wow. um, that we have access to throughout the entire year. We can run uh, surveys. Mm -hmm. um, we can run some dedicated focus groups. And then we built a, a, a micro panel just dedicated to health and wellness. This is a panel that we wanted to build with customers who uh, about a third of them have at least one chronic condition. Another third don't have any conditions, but they're interested in health and wellness. And um, another third are just very actively physically. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to get a different perspectives. And we come to them frequently with wireframes of new, new experiences we want to build um, with marketing copy, branding names, uh, we even come to them with um, just solutioning on what should be built in order to make sure that your experience in store and online is 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 uh, catered to your needs. Um, so for us, we are constantly talking um, about uh, with our customers about what we can do better. Last year alone, uh, I was calculating it because we're in this round of performance reviews, and I had <laughs> and I had someone on my team who manages consumer insights. And he ran a total of 32 customer research studies wow. in wow. one year. Mm -hmm. um, and so it shows that really it's, a, it's part of our DNA, like listening to our customers and acting on, on that feedback. Yeah. Um, and one thing that was really 
critical that didn't come from my team survey but came from another research study was that um, customers wanted to find a simple way to just reorder all of their items at once, right? To buy again, which yeah. is nothing unique, yeah. um, but for us was really important. Yeah. And it came from actually anecdotes. Um, mm. One story, it's a, it's a heartwarming story of a, a lady who used to shop at a, one of our Safeway stores frequently. Mm -hmm. And she eventually stopped coming to the store and the staff noticed that she wasn't shopping anymore at the store. Okay. And so what they decided to do was give her a call. She was a loyalty member, they had the phone number, they gave her a call and they found out she was in a really bad car accident and can no longer walk. She lost her ability to walk. And so her son was buying groceries for her, but her son lived somewhere else, so he was buying at a competitor's store. Um, and so they decided to go to her house with a basket of you know, goods and the typical groceries she would order. And then they instructed her how to buy all the groceries she needed in the app, wow. and they would always deliver it to her. <laughs> so they can maintain that relationship. And again, this is, part of this constant uh, drumbeat of communication with our customers mm -hmm. and, and learning where they are in their journey and how do we help them better. That's, That's a, a beautiful story. story. Yeah. yeah, and those are great because it sets the expectation with your um, store employees too of this is an example of how much we care about yeah. our customers. And obviously you're not gonna do that for millions of people, right. but you do it for a few people to show like we go the extra mile. Yeah. That's right, and that's I think the power of being a national brand, but with local sub-brands. Because yeah. um, Safeway is local, um, right. Safeway doesn't exist in Illinois, right? So then you have Jewel, yeah. and they built these local communities to your point, mm. yeah. um, which it should be part of our roadmap now to build that also online. Yeah. Um, hence my question around the impact of community building mm. online, because mm. I think we built that in store, but we have to now to translate that into a digital experience yeah. as well. It's an interesting challenge to highlight and opportunity for mm -hmm. sure. Ekta, how are you keeping in touch with consumers? How are you learning their needs every day? Listening to your consumers. So, like, our, as I said, like, we have almost now 6 million, you know, followers on Instagram, and they are sort of our go-to, not just Instagram, but TikTok, and if you look at the whole community, and it's listening to them on products, whether it be trends, who they want us to collaborate with. In, in fact, our most, um, I would say the best collaboration that we did was Chipotle and Elf came from a insight. So mm -hmm. our consumers were buying. We constantly kept on seeing Chipotle and Elf and, huh. and so forth. And the insight really that drove that collaboration was that when the consumers actually walk into a Chipotle and they see that bar, it reminds them of a makeup palette. Oh, wow. And that, that just was like, whoa, like, how do we make this happen? And then when we went to Chipotle, their values, our values, huh. moving at elf speed and bringing two like unexpected things together. Yeah. And then that collaboration happened, which sold online uh, less than four minutes, you know? So it's, uh, and then that drove another collaboration, which had this amazing avocado sponge. And you would think that, you know, you would talk about those on regular channels, Reddit <laughs> users were talking about getting this avocado sponge, which oh was goodness. really, really incredible. So I do think that it's about always, yeah. everything drives from an insight. Jeez. That is at the center of everything. So our biggest collaborations, our consumers have told us um, to do that. That is a very yeah. unexpected association. That's a yeah. really fun gem from the session. And um, for us, yeah. it's that, uh, you know, the flip side of our customers being so invested in our success is, 
they have a lot of opinions about yeah. what we're doing and a lot of feedback. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, through the ambassador program, we give them one of the perks is that direct line to HQ to, to feel heard. Yeah. Um, but, you know, another avenue that we're starting to explore too is um, it, most fashion brands have more followers on Poshmark than on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and all we have more than 68 billion social interactions and we know what those people actually buy as well. Yeah. And so we're trying to figure out how we can take all of that insight and help fashion brands get more feedback from their customers as well. That's yeah. very cool, like That's a symbiotic amazing. relationship. That's awesome. Um, so we'll kind of bring this full circle before we go into the live Q&A. So in the session description, we did mention how typical online shopping experiences are kind of one or the other. They're oriented towards discovery or they're oriented towards very mission-driven journeys. You each have very different categories related to this topic. So how do you balance that for your customers? I think for us, our we are a very purpose-driven company. Mm -hmm. Elf is for every eye, lip, face, and paw. Love it. And every skin concern. <laughs> uh, it is so important to us that we really take that very seriously. So whether it be the type of models we shoot, to, to the, um, you know, the content we produce, the language we use, the, the causes we support, we really take that very seriously. So I do think that it's a very balanced approach, mm -hmm. and we are not to jump on trends and then you know fight for every cause. Yeah. We fight for causes and stand for causes that we truly believe in, mm -hmm. and our community tells us sometimes they agree, sometimes they don't agree. But we do not change our tone, you mm -hmm. know. And I think that's really important. Is when you flip-flop, yeah. I think that's when you know, you're know you not standing behind your cause, and for us, our cause is really important. Elf is for every eye, lip, face, skin concur, skin concern, and furry paws, so. That's great. Yeah, uh, we, uh, you know, we tried to stay focused on how do we keep pushing the envelope on mm -hmm. discovery-oriented shopping, mm -hmm. on this question of, you know, I have exactly what I want versus want to discover mm -hmm. something new. We believe that uh, you know one of the big frontiers in e-commerce, for, particularly for fashion, is uh, discovery-oriented shopping. So we yeah. keep trying to push that forward. And the latest thing has been uh, live selling. Okay. So in the fall, we launched live stream video, and um, that is a it, you know it's very successful in Asia, but it is live stream video is a graveyard of failed attempts in the West. Yes. Um, but uh, so we tried, we took a different angle on it. Mm -hmm. Instead of big influencers with big followings, you know, selling out tens of thousands of units, we tried to make it something that's more, something an everyday person can do, uh, you know, without needing to have great stage presence and, you know, to be successful if you only have 10 or 20 viewers and uh, just be very approachable. And it's uh, working really well. It is, it's a rocket ship. So the, um, you know, particularly with Gen Z users. So yeah. there's uh, you know, one 18-year-old Gen Z seller who's uh, just hit $500,000 in total sales. Jeez. Wow. And uh, she was not like a big-name person. Before this, she was selling about $250 a month on the platform. Wow. But she has fun on the, the live stream video. If you watch it, you're going to have fun too, which mm -hmm. is something you know, we all need more of. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we try to keep pushing the envelope on uh, discovery, where you can sit there and watch the video and you know, see something you've never thought you needed, but now you have to have, totally. uh, particularly when somebody gets to tell you the story behind it. Yeah. yeah. I think live selling is for sure still going to take off in the U.S., so yeah, don't, don't knock it just yet. <laughs> Eventually. 
Exactly. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. Exactly. Your brands will take us there. Yeah. Francisco, how would you talk about that balance? I would say for us, it, it depends on the target persona. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at our audiences, um, we can separate them into three categories. Category one is convenience. Mm -hmm. Uh, those are what we call the easy shoppers. Mm -hmm. They want to come in and out very quickly. Um, so they're very mission-oriented. So they come in, I know what I want, I need a frictionless experience. Yeah. So for those, we built um, solutions like buy it again, mm -hmm. um, or um, items we think you may like, and you can just add them to your cart, or sometimes even bundles. Um, let's say, for example, how to care for your younger pet, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can have a bundle of things that you can just add. Um, then you have what we call the uh, customers who are looking for inspiration. Mm -hmm. And those are the healthy foodies. Mm -hmm. um, those are customers who want to eat healthier, but they don't know how. And so they're looking for inspiration, how to eat healthier, what diets are great for them. And so they spend time browsing to our app. And so we want to cater to them um, articles, blog content. Um, we want to cater to them recipes that are really easy for them to try, experiment. They can watch a video on the recipe and see if that's what they want to do. Um, and then again, combining that with one click, add it to your cart. And then the last one is uh, the category of the price or coupon seekers, if you yeah. will. Mm. Um, they're just going after the latest deal. And for them, we have to make it also easy and a little bit of both. It's a little bit of discovery. So we offer them deals on products they probably have never tried before. Mm. And then we offer them deals um, that can easily be clipped. Um, with one tap, you clip all the deals into your cart, and then you can either pick it up in store or you can get it delivered to your home, um, and it's frictionless. So those three categories, um, we would then build different journeys, um, yeah. whether it's mission-oriented to the ones who want to be inspired or if it's, um, sorry, the discovery for the ones who want to be inspired or mission-oriented for those who want convenience and, and affordability. Yeah, that's great. I'm hoping to get into cooking more. So far, I've just been experimenting with different butters. So um, <laughs> hopefully, this will be the, the ticket to that. Um, so now we can start the live Q&A. If any of you have questions for these panelists, feel free to step up to the mic, and we can do that. And if not, yeah. we, can, we have our own questions too. But yeah, it looks like we have some questions. <laughs> All these mics are always so tall. Oh. Okay. I feel your pain. Yeah. I, feel, I have to climb on this chair. <laughs> I have a question uh, for Francisco, but maybe there is application uh, for Frat Adam and Ekta as well. Um, Francisco, when you were talking about sort of this personalization of grocery shopping and health, um, absolutely love that as an athlete and someone who, who cares about healthy food. What I find challenging is there's a lot of thought leadership around what is healthy. And that can be different depending on the angle you look at. Uh, example, keto. Is that good? Is that bad? Is that healthy? Probably a lot of thoughts out there. Right. How do you toe the line with your brand and educating people on what is healthy without necessarily taking a one particular stance? Or do you? Do you have right. a stance? And how do you deal with that? There's a lot of thought leadership about what is healthy. It's a great question. Yeah. And it's a challenge that we have to face. But we have a stance, which is we we're not a healthcare provider. Mm. And so it's not our role to tell you whether keto is right for you. We see our role as what is keto? Um, how, to, how, to get a, how to buy to support a keto diet? Uh, what ingredients um, based on your health goals would support your keto diet as an example? Uh, whether or not keto is the right thing in general, we leave that for the provider. So we allow you to access a telehealth provider or a nutritionist 
and you can interact with a nutritionist in store. Some of our stores actually carry nutritionists. Um, or you can connect with a, a medical professional and have that conversation through our platform um, and, and just have a conversation whether or not he believes, he or she believes, that that's the right path for you to take. Um, so we, we curate content, again, from health authorities. Uh, we may be partnering with some health associations to actually co-create content for us. Um, but again, we don't want to come across as we are a health authority. Instead, we're curating content based on your personalized journey, helping you sort of decipher that uh, and giving you access to professionals who can help you decipher that uh, without being the ones who actually are telling you whether or not this is the right thing for you. Thank you. Of course. Yeah, this is definitely really high. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tippy-toe a little bit. Um, I had a question for all of you. I was thinking about this from more of a corporate perspective. Um, it seemed like as you tap into the data and you've all come to some sort of a hypothesis for each of your brands and uh, companies, when you try to pursue that and you're in the midst of it, but then you figure out that this may not be the direction that I want to go in, how do you pivot um, and not lose um, well, I, I'm from the tech world, so we call tech debt, right? Like, we've already invested, we've been working on it. Um, but now to pivot, how do you come to those decisions and how do you um, validate that, the pivots? Yeah. I think data tells you, you know, the story, right? That's number one. So number one, are you a data-driven organization? Do you believe in the power of insights, right? So I think that's number one. Number two is... As, especially for ELF, we are a high growth company that has testing and learning in our DNA, and there's many bets that pay off, and there are some that don't. So you do not wanna continue, you wanna cut your losses, right? And you wanna make sure that if you're doing something and you're testing and learning, it is with a spirit of testing and learning, and sometimes it's not gonna sort of be successful. So having that um, pivot plan of like, hey, this is what I'm gonna do, but if it doesn't work out, I'm gonna do this, ready sometimes, and that's sort of become our uh, mantra or a thing that we constantly sort of do. So it's easy for us, but I think it's, it's an organizational DNA. Yeah, what you uh, hit on is one of the hardest things when you're doing something new, to know when something is kind of mildly working, do you keep iterating on it to try to improve yeah. it, or do you go in a different direction? Yeah. And you know, oftentimes no amount of data is going to really tell you. You have to, you know, really, it's a, it's a sense, and you have to kind of look for, are you seeing pockets where this is like really, really working? Mm -hmm. uh, and in which case you can dig, go, go push further on that and blow out that little pocket. Um, but if you're seeing generally, you know, mild interest among everyone, then that's more of a, suge a, a, a you know, hint that, okay, this may not ever become wild. Yeah. I think it's, it comes down really to the culture you can create inside the organization. Exactly. If you create a culture of experimentation where failure is part of, it's accepted and part of learning, but you fail fast, right? Yeah. So you don't, you don't exactly. wait around and, and try to hope for that things will change. Um, I, I give the example of Amazon. The team who developed the, uh, the Amazon phone, which probably many of you don't even remember it, um, lasted yeah. about a year, yeah. um, failed after one year. And then they took the same team, and then they built Alexa. So it's not, never about the team. It's about just going, being bold and experimenting on ideas and being quick to make a decision that this is not taking off. Let's just pivot. Yeah. Um, but it, it comes down to a cultural mindset. I agree. Yeah. 
Thank you. Mm -hmm. I, I loved how every each one of you had a different take at it. That was, <laughs> that was great. Yeah. great yeah, I think yeah, one last thing to add. I think the thing that makes it easiest is if you can find something to pivot to that you have really high conviction in. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you if it's just this isn't really working, and maybe that other thing will too. It's much harder to commit to that. Yeah. So I have I have a question for uh, Akta. So um, I have a beauty brand, and uh, I'm about to launch my app very soon. And uh, you mentioned that uh, Alf has a big following in social media. And I, want, I would like to ask, what is the secret sauce to drive download, app downloads from social media? And what are the other ways, channels, to drive app downloads? And what, uh, also, what is the conversion rate to drive app downloads from social media. Yeah, so I'll unpack that a little bit. I think if you, number one thing is if you built it, that doesn't mean they'll come. <laughs> so that's like number one. I do think it, uh, growing your app community really is a, um, something that does take time, right? So for us, we already had a social following, we already had a brand that is loved by many. Our products are, they, they, they go viral. Every single product has been going viral for the past year. So that, of course, virality automatically kind of helps, you know, gain your name out there. But building your campaigns, Everything from a 360 perspective, whether it be launch of a product to the CTAs that you have that says, hey, you can buy it online or download on, you know, download the app, like making sure that your consumer journey is fully connected um, and is calling out sort of the download of the app, I think is gonna be important. Also, if you have influencers or anyone else doing videos and everything, making sure those videos are calling about the importance of the app and you know, download the app, click here, like it's so important, but that's just one piece of it. Then the next piece is an app cannot be just there and forever not changed, right? Like how are you going to ensure that you're actually listening to your community and changing features and improving you know, their journey, taking, so having that um, core group of focus group that actually tells you, hey, this works, this doesn't, I like this, I don't like that, really focusing on those ratings. And oftentimes, you, know, you, ha you really have, we have improved our app from a 3.8 rating to a 4.5 rating. That was a very conscious effort and you know, and our Apple app now has like almost 4.8 rating. And there's a reason behind it is because we're listening to every single review and then constantly iterating and improving that experience. So that, those reviews are a gold mine and make sure that you're following up on, on those reviews. But that's what I would add, but I know you guys have apps too and you know, if anything. Not in the beauty space, so I can't really offer <laughs> yeah. much support. Um, but as someone who also buys beauty products, uh, <laughs> I would subscribe to reviews are, are very important. Very, uh, very that important. is the number one reason I would buy a brand over another is yeah. reviews. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Hi. Um, so I have a question for Francisco. Um, we all know that digital has become more and more accessible, um, especially over the last few years with the pandemic and all. Um, and one of the biggest challenges is how to bring audiences that are not versed into the digital space. So I was wondering if you could elaborate on how that challenge came about for you and your company and how you overcame it and how you bro brought those audiences together. 
It's a, it's a good question. It was a, a difficult challenge because a lot of our audience is on the older side as well. And they may be open to e-commerce, but not necessarily mobile experiences. And so for us, um, we needed to count on the people in the field, uh, the people who interact with these customers on a daily basis. And so number one, how do we incentivize our associates to be ambassadors for the digital experience? And so getting them first onto the app, our own associates, was critical because they started to learn about how to use the app, how it's more effective and efficient in store, how they can save money for them and the customers. And so then we, we created an in-store um, incentive program, which store can drive the most app downloads. Uh, and so they, they had an incentive to talk to customers and educating customers. We created also traditional marketing materials, like a flyer with one, two, three steps on how to download the app, how to use the app, uh, text, uh, one, two, three, and get a link for you to download the app. Make it extremely simple, uh, removing any friction. Uh, but it took you know, a lot of how-to videos. It took a lot of uh, educating uh, our own associates. But it started there with our own associates becoming ambassadors for us. And then if you go to a pharmacy and you talk to a pharmacist, it's someone you respect and trust. How do we get the pharmacist to also be an advocate for the digital experience. And then once they start adopting the digital experience, it's all about how do we educate them on what's next without overwhelming them about everything the app can do. Because the app can do a lot. And it can yeah. be really overwhelming for someone who doesn't have experience with the digital platform. Um, so that helped. And then as much as we can, pick up some credible influencers. And I say influencers, it's probably not the right term, but maybe thought leaders uh, in, that are respected in the specific space for different audiences. Yeah. So we would partner with certain influencers for the baby boomers. We would partner with some different influencers for Gen Z. Um, and I think that helped drive the adoption on the higher end. We still have a lot of work to do. Um, they still prefer more in-shopping experience and paper coupons versus digital coupons. Even though digital coupons, you know, more likely to be added to your cart easily, um, and they have expiration dates which can always be renewed versus an actual paper coupon as a physical expiration date. You cannot renew that date. Um, so we're spending a lot of time just with our own associates in person communication. Great. Thank, Thank you so much. Thanks. You're welcome. Unfortunately, we are at time. Um, I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Should we, um, but. Yeah, thank you all so much for participating. Thank you guys. Really thank appreciate you. it. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you.